Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plans. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Hey, church planner, welcome to another edition of Hardcore Church Planning. I have here today with me my guest, Christopher James. He is the Assistant Professor of Evangelism and Missional Christianity at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary. That was a mouthful, but you know what? That's a super (laughs) cool title, man. Like, Let me say that again. Assistant (laughs) Professor of Evangelism and Missional Christianity. Christianity. You know, I'm, I'm, Nacho Libre is going through my head. You know, I think I would like that kind of respect. That's pretty cool. <laughs> You're like a luchador of mission. That's cool. Well, well, thank you. I've never been given that title before. You've uh, never been on this show, I, but do you wear the stretchy pants, the missional stretchy pants? Because Chancho, sometimes a man must wear the missional stretchy pants. Only in certain settings. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get along really well. Well, hey, you have written a book. Um, it is a, a, a an awesome pleasure for me to introduce a book when someone's put a lot of thought. And, of course, you know, here you are. You're a professor. Um, you have written a robust, robust uh, really, text on church planning. And it was the title that caught me. It's Church Planning in Post-Christian Soil. Theology and Practice, um, rad title. Um, I've had a chance to dip into the book and look at it. It's meaty. I mean, it is, you know, it is academic. It is meaty. Yeah. You have done a lot of homework on this book. Let me ask you, why did you write uh, this book? What drove you to write it? Well, really, uh, I mean, the, the bottom line for me is I wanted to see the church faithfully doing witness in our culture. And, uh, you know, the, the, I did it the way that I did it for for four reasons. I, I thought about this in advance because, right, I'm a professor. I, I think about how, how am I going to answer a question like this? So the, the first reason is that um, I, I did it this way, which is, as you said, robust. A lot of research went into it because I have a, 
a feeling that uh, and a sense from from reading a lot of uh, the literature that's out there that there's there's a lot of church planning literature that's really um, more based on anecdotes and sort of proof texts uh, than uh, there are books that are really uh, digging in deep, doing serious and um, well calibrated sociological and theological research. So uh, I felt like, hey, this is something I can contribute, and uh, that. So that was the first reason. The second reason um, I do it did it the way that I did it, and this isn't in the title. Um, but on the cover, uh, maybe you noticed this from, from the beginning, it's got, uh, the, uh, space needle, right. Uh, reflected in a, a glass ball from, from the Chihuly garden right next to the, the space needle. And the study is focused in Seattle, Washington, uh, which as many people will probably know, one of the most unchurched cities in the country, uh, Mark, uh, Driscoll sort of famously wrote, uh, welcome to the United States of Seattle, uh, because it, it's not just a post-Christian place, but it's a place sort of on the leading edges of a lot of our cultural changes toward urbanization, toward progressive cultural values, toward technology. Um, and, and back in 2001, it was, uh, dubbed the nun zone. You know, this is where, uh, so many folks are not affiliated with religion. So I said, I got to do a thorough research uh, project. I got to do it somewhere where it, it's going to be significant and sort of have significance beyond its own location. So I studied Seattle because I, I thought it had something to say more broadly about the American context. Um, I also did it the way that I did it, um, which we'll, we'll get into later. Uh, the way that I did it was fully uh, ecumenical, meaning not just a certain type of church, but really all the churches uh, happening in Seattle that have been planted. And I did it that way because I, I really, you know, my own journey has been through a lot of different kinds of churches. And as much as um, there are those churches that I, I would say, yeah, they're, they're, they're off the tracks, uh, they're in theological error here or there, um, I have a deep conviction that when God looks at the church, God sees the whole church, not just the churches that... Um, I feel at home in. So I did it as a study of, of all the churches across the denominations. Every church that, that would uh, sort of the, the bottom line is they baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means they, they recognize the core teaching of Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, God is known in, in, as a trinity. So anyway, that's, that's maybe a longer answer than you're looking for. But my heart really is uh, to see the church adapt and engage its changing culture in a way that's that's faithful, um, and to learn from a place like Seattle that has uh, a lot a lot to tell the rest of the nation about where it's headed. So, you know that just having that heart right there, man that that's worth the price of admission. When when you talk about, you know, I think I think there needs to be a broadness in church planning if we're going to learn. You know, uh, my tribe or your tribe or whatever tribe we identify with you know we we all have our blind spots yeah and so i agree with you man i i think that uh the more we can kind of cross these denominational network barriers and work yeah. together as a body of christ all the better yeah. i mean yeah. i certainly don't have everything figured out yet and uh, i say yet because when i get to heaven i will i'll be the boss you need to talk to me in eternity because I, I show you i'd be like okay come here i'll tell you <laughs> we'll, we'll all know perfectly as we're perfectly known, as, as the scripture says. No, just yeah. me. Yeah, just you. You're still going to be the expert. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, I, you know, and I think until that day, man, like you said, we know in part. And I love that your book, like for me, 
that is just, you know, I train church planners uh, for North American Mission Board, and we always yeah. talk about maintaining the posture of a learner throughout yeah. your, your your existence as a trainer. And being that you're an educator, I know that you're like, hey, I barely scratch. I mean, it's a yeah. meaty book. It's weighty. But uh, I know you probably feel like you've just um, scratched the surface. Talk to me a little bit about church planning for grandpa, you know, back in the 80s, 90s. Huh? versus sure. uh, church planning today in post-Christian soil? Ah, interesting question. So, I mean, back in the day, um, we would we would call this Christendom, the, the day when um, there was social cachet in being a church member, um, where, where basically everybody went to church, and even if they didn't go to church, they said they went to church because it, it, it gave you some, like, credence in, in the wider culture. So, uh, back in the day, really all you had to do was find a suburb that was growing, um, get together a good preacher and a good band, and uh, put out your like Baptist church, First Baptist Church, or or whatever you know your tribe is. Put out your your denominational label, and if you build it, they will come. Right? That's I mean that that's sort of the classic uh, strategy. And a lot of churches, I mean in in various denominations, really were planted in the '70s because this was sort of a, a heyday of, uh, denominational, uh, church planting. So that's, that's the background. I mean, today, uh, we just simply don't have that culture anymore where going to church earns you points with your friends. Um, to the, to the contrary, going to church in a lot of places and and especially in urban areas is sort of like a, you're going to get a weird look, right? Uh, so, you can't you can't bank on the denominational cachet. You can't bank on um, it being normal to join a church. So you really have to think like a missionary. And and this is really a you know a major transition that happened for the church in uh, the West, North America, and Europe. Um, in in the last century, was waking up to the fact that it's it's not just mission fields in Africa and Asia and South America, but in fact. Uh, as Leslie Newbegin said, one of my favorite people to read, um, North America and the West is actually one of the most difficult mission fields in the world. And so church planning in, in the North, in North American context today has to be missionary work, which means analyzing your, your environment, your neighborhood, your context deeply using all the, the disciplines you can. So use sociology, use culture studies, use whatever you can to sort of unpack What's going on in the hearts of people in this environment? Where are people opening up to real community? What are the the, the longings and uh, what are the aspirations of people in this context? So all that missionary work is really what what church planting takes in our context. And so, you know, the churches that I found in Seattle that uh, were making it, uh, they had done some of this work, and part of that meant in, in the urban setting of Seattle, they were paying attention to what's going on in the urban environment. And a big piece of that, uh, as probably many of your, your listeners will know, is sort of the, the rise of localism, uh, the rise of neighborhood identity. So in Seattle, I found uh, people, if I asked them where they're from, they wouldn't say they're from Seattle. They say, they say they're from Greenwood. They say they're from Capitol Hill. You know, if they, if they say they just moved to the neighborhood, they might just mean they moved from one neighborhood over to the next. You know, so this this really cultural phenomenon of a, a uh, longing for a, a more local urban life. That's one thing that many of the churches I found were tapping into and saying, you know what, there's something beautiful about that. And we can uh, approach church planting in a way 
that's not just a church for the city, but is actually a church for the neighborhood. And in my book, you know, if folks are willing to dive in, uh, they'll see that uh, some of the theological work I draw on from the last 200 years of, of missionary reflection uh, really suggests that that kind of move toward the local identity and local mission is really, um, in some ways, better theologically than a lot of the more uh, strategy-focused approaches that are that are kind of how big can we go, how big can be our circle of influence. So, yeah, that's it's it's a new world out there, and that's certainly why I wanted to write this book. Is is there's a, a growing awareness across the board that we can't do church planting how we did in the '70s anymore. Right. So what, what would you say to someone planting um, today? So if, if you were talking to a church planter, you're saying, look, you're planting in post-Christian soil. Um, yeah. What are the things that you think that a church planter needs to make sure that they don't miss planting in this environment? Okay, good question. Well, I, I guess the place I would probably start uh, – is, is to get them to think about their own, um, what they're bringing to the task of church planting. You know, when I talk to church planters, my students uh, who are preparing to plant, I ask them a question. I ask them, you know, what's a church experience that, that burned you and you're, you're running away from in your own church plant? Uh, in, you know, maybe you grew up in, you had some negative experience that, that you hope your church plant will not replicate. And what's some positive experience you have that you hope your church plant will replicate? So, uh, you know, people need to know what they're bringing to the, 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 the process. Uh, they need to know what they're aspiring for, what they see, that, what they think the church looks like when it's really being the church. That's a place to start. And um, in, in, my, in my book, uh, I unpack four primary models, uh, the four sort of major ways that churches are taking shape. And each of them have uh, advantages and disadvantages, both theological and, and practical in terms of planning in a place like Seattle. So, I mean, doing that reflection on what am I bringing, what am I hoping for, what am I expecting, would lead them in the direction of reflecting on what are the potential pitfalls of, of my what I'm shooting for and what are the potential advantages of it. Uh, on, on another level, I mean, I mentioned already, uh, you can't, you really need to... Uh, address and get beyond the immediate skepticism that people are going to have about your agenda. And as a church planter, they assume your agenda is to grow your church. And so, um, first of all, check yourself. Is your agenda to grow a church? I hope your agenda is to partner with God and to love your neighbor, <laughs> because that's that's really, um, that's something that can be winsome. Um, and, it, it, and sometimes there can be a conflict, an internal conflict and an external conflict over uh, am I really doing this out of love for God and neighbor? Am I am I doing this out of building a little kingdom for myself? So that's that's an important check. And post Christian people can read it a mile away uh, if if you're mo- what if you're motivated by sort of a, this little kingdom thing. Uh, there's, there's a few other things from the book, but I don't know what what you want to drill into um, as far as major tips. I guess that I would give for folks planning in church uh, in a post Christian context. You want me to go there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so I think I've got three here. Number one, uh, think about the rhythms of your church, the things that are kind of the, the, the day-to-day or week-to-week life of the church. Um, 
instead of simp- having the old grandpa mentality of we just put on put on a worship service and then that's it, you know, we're ba- we're just basically all around everybody attracting people to worship. Reflect on what a monthly rhythm will look like in your church. So as I surveyed, hundred, I, I studied 105 churches planted in Seattle, uh, inside the city limits. And one of the themes that ran through was that the churches that were taking root were paying attention to the ways that the, the rhythms, the practices, the habits of their church had two functions. First, uh, the way you do church tells the people who come what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it also tells the people in your wider community what you think it means to follow Jesus. So if the way you do church is we, we have a worship service, the end, then people in the church and outside the church will think that really following Jesus is just about going to a Sunday event or maybe some other day of the week. But some of the churches that were most inspiring to me were those that were planting with a, a missional community model where they had a monthly rhythm. Like one would one talked about this uh, rhythm of study, serve, study, play. Uh, others had rhythms of hospitality. You know, once a month, the, the missional community, the, the small group gets together to, to serve. Once a month, they get together, together to throw a party for their neighbors. When they, you put these habits into the life of a church plant, it's not just like a good thing to do. It actually is forming people in what it means to follow Jesus. Serving is not extra credit. Hospitality is not like extra credit that you tell people to do in the end of the sermon. Like, go do the, that this week. You've got to build them into the life of the church as, as a normal thing that the majority of people are doing on a regular basis. So that's, that's number one is craft the whole life of the church, not just a, not just a kick-ass worship service. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like that. So, so you talked about, you got the worship service. Can you just yeah. dig into that a little bit more and tell me, cause you mentioned yeah. like some of them really inspired you. So everybody yeah. thinks, you know, uh, Sunday, and then they think mm-hmm. something like, uh, maybe home group, or if they're talking missional community, or like you said, once a month barbecue. What are yeah. some things that, that guys were doing that kind of, as you said, it, it really, it preached a message. This is Christianity. What was some of that good, good stuff? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the, the, the most obvious one I've already mentioned it is the making service and particularly local service a, a rhythm of the life of every disciple of Christ in your church. And you, you don't do that by having, in my opinion, a big church initiative. You have, uh, and I saw this in many of these missional communities, each missional community uh, through their leadership would pick sort of a local cause. And they would say once a month or more, we're going to be invested in this. And this is a way to, to build credibility. It's also a way to build that habit of service is what it means to follow Jesus in, in a certain way. And, and it opens up um, relationships with folks. You know, I even recommend uh, don't serve at the Christian uh, food food pantry, serve with non-Christians, you know, uh, get out there and, and rub shoulders with people and do it out of, of love uh, that comes from God. So that's one of the service. Uh, I, I also mentioned hospitality, and this is one that I, I think is sometimes overlooked, uh, but there's, there's a church uh, out there called Lux Community, L-U-X, um, focused on light. And one of their missional communities had started a margarita night. Okay. Uh, they, they had said, um, how are we going to get into relationships with, with the folks who work at, I don't know if it was Chili's or something, one of these local places that was located in their neighborhood. And so they said, hey, let's just invite people to, to sort of fellowship. So creating spaces where uh you aren't in control. It's not a Bible study, uh, but it is 
doing exactly what Jesus does all throughout the Gospels, having food with the wrong people, um, sharing drinks and, and meals and rubbing shoulders and expressing love. Uh, that's, that's like what it means to follow Jesus, I think, is, is to copy and echo uh, that ministry of Jesus. Another really interesting one, uh, a church called Community Dinners. This was a like 90-year-old uh, Pentecostal church that had been doing uh, the worship-centered uh, church uh, somewhat successfully, you know, for, for decades. And they said, you know what, uh, we think part of what it means to follow Jesus is actually that you are in real relationship with the poor. And so that's not going to be an extra credit activity for our church anymore. Uh, that's going to be ingrained in the rhythms of our church. So what they did is they basically shut the whole Sunday morning thing down, and they they now exist as uh, meals, community meals, community dinners, five nights a week in five different urban villages uh, of Seattle. And these these meals, um, as the the pastor Verlin Fosner uh, has described to me, three three different kinds of people make up the the three major groups. One are the people who really need a good meal. So you got the poor, you got the homeless, you got the the um, low income folks. You've got the good neighbors, the folks who are like, ah, it's a beautiful thing that you're putting on a meal. And then you've got the missionaries or the church, uh, the people who are following Jesus already. And so they've made it their rhythm of church that every time they gather to um, hear the gospel, to um, share fellowship with each other, to pray, they do it in the company of the poor because. They believe that's what it means to follow Jesus. So, I mean, there's, there's radical ways you can think outside the box, but in some ways you start with asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And how would we build that into the rhythms of our church? Um, not just in that. the service, but in everything that we're doing. So that right there, just, just at the rhythms of the church preach, you know, what, what yeah. it means to follow Jesus and is yep. itself as a sermon. Um, yeah. that's just huge. I mean, I, uh, just yeah. looking at my own church planning experience, I relate to the last story you told about the church oh, yeah. that, um, that, that meets with the poor. Like we would, you know, pe- people would come and say, Oh, cause our service would, we would eat. There was a communal meal at the every mm-hmm. Sunday yeah. and people would say, well, you know, that, uh, Oh, so you feed the poor here. And we're like, <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, um, we yeah. eat together as a community. Like these are my neighbors. These yeah. are these are the people I worship with. Like we're yeah. eating to just even changing that language. It, that following Jesus means that language no longer has any meaning. You know. Yeah, you it's, know that reminds me of something really important that I I do want to to express to your listeners, and and that is some of the churches that um were the best at these missional communities. Um, one of their weaknesses was was in the way they described their context. Uh, and this is this goes way back to like early missionary work, right? Where where missionaries sort of painted the picture of Africa as this pagan wasteland where there's nothing good happening and we have to be, um, uh, you know, bring light there. And sometimes a similar sort of portrait happens in church plants these days where they're trying to motivate um, giving, they're trying to motivate people to join the team. And so they, they kind of paint a real dark picture like, you know, there's so many un- non-Christians here and it's just a battleground. And while it's it's true, at, on the one hand, on the other hand, God is there before we show up. God is doing things in the midst of that environment. And so um, learning to uh, celebrate and praise and give glory to God for the, the things that are already beautiful that are happening in, in your city, in your community, 
that I think it really uh, gets to the heart of, of some of the, the things that sometimes go wrong in one of the four models that, that probably is most common among uh, many of your listeners. Uh, and so I, you know, when I, when I give uh, recommendations in the end of the book to church planters and what I call the great commission team model, I say, uh, get out there and serve, but don't, don't be in charge when you're serving, serve as a servant. Um, and number two, throw, uh, parties, um, but, but not just, uh, not just parties where, uh, how should I change this? Uh, Get out there and enjoy what's beautiful about your place. So if it's go enjoy a craft beer or go to the opera or whatever it is, like find things that you can celebrate and say, this is beautiful about this place to which we've been sent. That I think that can be a helpful corrective for this sort of uh, disproportionate relationship that is reflected mm-hmm. in what you said before. We serve the poor or we're witnessing to the non-Christians, uh, you know, yes, and we're also testifying to the work of God that's already happening in the lives mm. of you know that's so important man i i love the fact that that what you're saying cuz here's the deal right like there's that joke that the the church planning starts with kind of a almost like a spinning match to see you know who can have the biggest crap hole on the planet my city, you know, you, you've all seen it, right? My city's the biggest crap hole on the planet, and that's why I'm going there. Rather yeah. than, yeah. like you said, like, yeah. you know, I, I love how Jesus, right? When he comes on the scene, he goes to the disciples now. Yeah. You are going to reap where others have sown. Who in the mm-hmm. heck is Jesus talking yeah. about, right? Like, okay. go on. I know you're excited. <laughs> oh, no, you're exactly right. Because who God was there before you got there. God's right. been planting seeds. Um and before we get there, and God is going to keep doing the work, you know, after we're dead and gone. Um, so, so really that, that posture, and this comes from, again, the last 250 years of mission work. Missionaries realized, you know what, we had this idea that we were um, going to show up to a blank slate that was just all darkness and realized that God had been at work before we got there. So the work of a, of a church planter, of a missionary, is to have a, a ability to name the brokenness and the beauty. Of your context to be able to to um, say, look, God has been at work here, like Paul does in, in the Areopagus. He says, look, I've been walking around your town. You got a lot of idols. I can tell you are very religious. And there's something, you know, he's he starts off on that positive note, and he's also able in Acts uh, 17 to draw in. You've got some some um, poets and philosophers. They got something good to say, but let me tell you more about that. Um, in him, we live and move and have our being. Yeah, let me tell you what that really means. Uh, so being able to, to, again, speak in a balanced way about the, the brokenness and the beauty, it's one of those fine lines that many churches fall off on one side where they have nothing critical to say, and churches fall off on the other side where they can't seem to find anything positive to say. What a, what a great balance. Um, that's really good, man. So um, I know we're approaching the end of our time, but the book is called Church Planning in Post-Christian Soil by Christopher James. It's uh, published by Oxford University Press. So you know you're going to be getting a lot of cool studies in here. Like like he said, it centers really around the work of Seattle, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot. The Pacific Northwest is... is uh, uh, a pretty daunting place to to plant in. I recently uh, trained a bunch of guys all from Oregon, and mm-hmm. of course, Portland is is the place church planters go to die. Right? I mean, it's it's you know, good night, sayonara. And yet, I've got a church planter up there who's 
you know, planted and he's doing a CrossFit gym. We had him on here, Anton oh. Furo with PDX Church. And, yeah. uh, and it's going well, but you know, it's outside of the box. Po- mm-hmm. Church planting in post Christian soil, there is a different approach. And lo and behold, I'm sure you would agree, uh, Christopher James, that, uh, we basically, when we do that, we actually experience more of what the New Testament was talking about. We kind of rediscover stuff yeah. that's been yeah. forgotten. Yeah, because that's very much like the, the experience of the early church. You know, they didn't have cultural capital really to offer beyond the gospel. And so really just taking taking shape uh, as a church that's a, a blessing to your community and faithful to the gospel is it's you can't count on people coming to church because people go to church just uh, as a habit. Yeah. Excellent. I want to say I want to say one other thing, Peyton, because. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we are short on time, but um, you mentioned that it's a scholarly study. So, but I don't want your readers to be scared away. I'm actually, uh, uh, or your listeners to be scared off because I'm in the process right now of creating a official church planters guide to the book that will hopefully um, help folks like your listeners navigate through the book in a way that's most useful to church planters themselves. Uh, that, and that hopefully, you know, helps create some some questions for reflection maybe on your team, uh, directs you to, to find which chapters are going to be most relevant uh, to, to your particular approach and your particular context. So I want folks to know that I, I'm working on resources to make it uh, really accessible. That's fantastic, man. What a, what a big help. You know, the, uh, the, the reality is, is that really to understand even, you know, the makeup, like how to assess your city, all that kind of stuff. It's all in here and, um, and it's helpful, man. So I appreciate you putting together a guide as well. You know, we've, we've got all kinds of listeners here. We got, uh, as I said to you before, we've got guys that have their PhDs that listen. And then we've got guys where, as I said before, God's gifted them in other areas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe not yeah. academia, but, uh, you know, I always challenge our guys to read, you know, to read from everyone and to be omnivorous on their learning. Listen to your PhDs, listen to your guys on the ground who, you know, haven't read a book in 10 years, but, you know, Holy Spirit's using them the same. You yeah. got your Moody's and your Lloyd Joneses, you know, your, uh, you know, and, and, and that's fantastic. So, uh, grab the book. It's church planting and post Christian soil theology and practice. Um, and, uh, one last question we like to always kind of, uh, ask when we're doing this. Um, it, it, our, our guests never see it coming, but our question today is if you and, and by the way, this changes every time, but if you and JD Payne were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win? Mm. I would win. Yes. And let me tell you why. I was I was a wrestler. I was a pretty good wrestler. And the thing about a fist fight is it always turns into a wrestling match. Yes, it so, does. Yeah. You exchange a couple punches, but once then 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 you're down on the mat and it, I'm going to be on top. So Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. See, you you've been in a few scraps. See, you're and you're a bit more street with a title like this. This is he's got some good titles. I got to say he's got Apostolic Church Plan. It's a good title. I wish I had written that book. But uh, <laughs> church planting in post-Christian soil is a contender. Like, that's that's right up there on book title. So, and I love that you can throw down and be like, hey, it's a post-Christian world, man. I'm going to I'm gonna kill you. You know, <laughs> this is great. You know? But, <laughs> then, <laughs> but then afterwards, I'm going to talk about peace and love. Because, you know, we yeah. should just get along. That's what you'll do after, right? Uh, you know, I might be, I mean, it might be saying peace all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm more, I'm more into the, the arts of redirection. Yes. Uh, I really hate to do this to you, JD, but you know, I'm a professor too, and you need some schooling. 
Uh, see, I'm going to do the smack talk for you. This is. This I would. Is I would love to sit down with him. Maybe not a fist fight, but I'd enjoy the conversation. <laughs> yeah, just don't have me in the room because I'll be laughing the whole time remembering this conversation. And JD, by the way, has been a guest on the show. I know we've made him throw down with people, so it's all it's all fair play. It's an equal opportunity. We do this to all of our guests every time. I don't know why. It just started once and it continued. So. Uh, from the first show, as a matter of fact. So anyways, right. hey, my guest has been Christopher B. James. Check him out. Christopher, where can people catch up with you outside of buying the book? Do you got a, yeah, well, a blog I'm, or web page? ChrisBJames.com. Uh, also, I'm also uh, on Twitter. Chris B. James is the handle. So those are probably the easiest ones. Uh, from from my website, you can get links to everything else, everywhere else I am, Facebook and all that. But uh, that's that's the main main place and if, if any of your listeners happen to be out in dane county near wisconsin madison wisconsin that's that's my location for my next research so if you're there look me up shoot me uh, an email or, or tweet me because i'd love to connect i'm working on uh what mission looks like in dane county grappling with the, the differences between a progressive city and a pr- pretty conservative uh, rural parts of the county there so i'd love to connect with those folks in particular very cool. All right. Well, guys, you might be in his next book. So uh, check it out, guys. And um, this has been Hardcore Church Planning, and you've been listening to Peyton Jones and Christopher B. James. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by The Church Planner Podcast and The Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you liked this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.